All right, so let me catch you up, uh, and then we'll, we'll open with a word of prayer. Let, let me catch you up. So Titus, this book is written by the Apostle Paul while he's sitting in prison. Paul knows that he's going to be beheaded in the not-too-distant future. He writes letters, First and Second Timothy, he wrote to Timothy, who was pastoring a church in Ephesus, exhorting him in a time when Christians were being fed to lions, when Christians were being covered in pitch and set on fire. And he didn't say, hey, Timothy, go hide. Hey, Timothy, things are tough. Just dial it down until, until we get past this. Instead, he told him that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Amen? And guys, we're not to hide out in the midst of great difficulty. Now, Titus is another one of his sons in the faith, and he's on the island of Crete. Crete is an island that was known. When you call someone a Cretan, you still can hear that word sometime. You're a Cretan. They were known to be liars and deceivers and immoral. And so he's pastoring a church on an immoral island in the midst of great depravity and great persecution. And Paul writes this letter to his son in the faith to encourage him. And whenever you see a letter from the Apostle Paul, they're always written this way in the Bible. He begins off with doctrine. Doctrine is a simple word for for teaching or what we believe. And then he always follows up after the beginning of the letter, like this is what we believe and this is who we are. And then it's, this is how we behave. In light of what we know, how shall we now live? So doctrine and then duty, or you might say belief and then behavior. So in chapter one, he said, protect sound doctrine, protect the word of God. Guys, this is a message that was true 2000 years ago. And it's a message that's true today. Can I get an amen to that? Here's the reality. A lot of churches today have gotten away from the word of God. They've gotten away and they're more of a religious country club or, a, or a, like the Elks Club. I'm like, we're not going to teach the Bible. Let's put horns on the wall and call it the Elks Club because it's not a church. Can I get an amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by. It's the word of God and the foundation is the word of God. And so he writes to, to him to say, look, don't dial down the message out of fear. Don't worry about drawing a crowd. You be faithful to make disciples. And the way you do that is you protect sound doctrine. He said, here's how you do that. Teach biblical truth, ordain pastors who are going to teach the word of God, and then rebuke the false teachers. So that was chapter one. Chapters two and three are now taking what we believe and impacting it into our behavior. And so the practice of sound doctrine, if you were here last week, uh, we have... We have CDs. You can also go to our website. Uh, you can look online, our Facebook page. It's hard not to find the word if you're, if you're paying attention. It's everywhere. And we saw the last week really practical advice from Timothy, uh, to Titus from the Apostle Paul of what the church should look like. I tell the message, behavior becoming of belief. And how do we practice it? First, he talked about in the life of older men. He said older men should be calm, well-balanced, Reverent, which means serious-minded, temperate, sound in faith, sound in love, and patient. These are what a, a godly older man should look like. And godly older men should be ministering to, to godly younger men. And the church is called, each one of us is called. He, he talks about older men, younger men, older women, younger women. And ministry takes place as we are making disciples. He talked about the life of an older woman. Someone said, how old is that? I'm not defining that. Life of an older woman, she is to be reverent, behavior that becomes of holiness. She's not a gossip or a slanderer. She's not given to much wine, and she's a teacher of good things. One of the things was to teach her, we saw last week, to teach her, her, the young women to love their husbands and to love their children and to be godly examples to, to their children and to their families. Then we saw the life of a younger woman. Again, the, the exhortation coming from the older woman to make her marriage a priority. Hey, happy, I mean, uh, happy Thanksgiving, or not Thanksgiving. You know where my mind's at. I like turkey. Happy Valentine's Day. My wife's down working in the children's ministry, and uh, we always do our Valentine's Day a day early because Sunday's kind of busy around my house. But I would say this, that what a blessing it is that God brought you the person he wanted you to spend the rest of your life with. Can I get an amen to that? And we should never take that for granted. And guys, if you want to do the best thing you can for your wife on Valentine's Day, you be the spiritual leader in your household. You love her, you serve her, you lay down your life for her, and you provide for her. Can I get an amen to that? And wives, the best things you can do for your husbands, you can support him and encourage him and minister to him. Amen? 
So my wife is my favorite person. I love her more than anybody on this planet. And we need to make our, 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 our marriages a priority. And then it talks about raising godly children. And here's what's interesting about it. In the Bible, it talks about putting on the whole armor of God. And when you see the armor of God, there's only one offensive weapon. It's the sword, which is the word of God. But there's another offensive weapon in the Bible. And it talks about blessed is the man whose quiver is full. And quiver, quivers are arrows, and arrows are things that you shoot. And for us, our children are being shot into the next generation. If the Lord should tarry and we go home, Christianity will be on the, you know, on the shoulders of our children following the Lord. Amen? And you know why it's important that we raise up our children in the truth? Because we want them to be quivers impacting the world, arrows impacting the world, not targets being hit by the world. Can I get an Amen. And our kids need to know what they believe and why they believe it. That starts at home. Amen? So if you want your kids on fire for God, you be on fire for God. You be a Christ-like example. You want your kids to look at you and say, that's what a godly man looks like. Look at the mom and say, that's what a godly woman looks like. We saw that in last week's text. A younger woman is to be discreet, to be chaste. By the way, what you use for bait will determine what you catch. You've heard me say that before. You need to dress in a way that is honoring to the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? You don't want to attract a man that just loves your bare midriff. Can I get an amen? I used to tell my, 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 my daughter, I said, the only one that should ever see your stomach is your husband. Get over it. So the reality is that we need to be chaste. As Christians, we live different. Now, I'm not talking about doing things so God will love us, but doing things because we love him in obedience to his word. Amen? Then he also talked about being homemakers. And I said, every feminist head just exploded. But the reality is, that my wife makes our house a home. And that's what a godly woman does, amen? When, when the husband walks in the door, his house is a home, and praise God for that. It's also to be kind-hearted and to be obedient, submitted to your husbands and everything, and then everyone else's head exploded when I said that. Then he says the life of young men. It's funny, it's older men, seven things, younger women, seven things, young men, one thing, be sober-minded. And you think that's unfair? No, that's just because that's all a young man can do, even, even try to do. Be self-controlled, be sober-minded, you know, to be a man who walks by faith. And then we saw the actions between employers and employees. And again, you can see this message online. But as employees, we should be the best workers in the building. The first ones to get there and the last ones to leave. We should honor, the God, honor God in the way we do our jobs and our bosses should want 10 more people just like us. Can I get an amen to that? Because when you, do, when you do your job as unto the Lord, I say this to my boss all the time. You know, I've been with my company 32 years. You know, I get asked a lot of input, even from the, the CEO. And they'll ask me, why are you successful? And I say, well, first of all, because I do my job as unto the Lord. Amen. And when we honor God, we'll honor our boss and we'll bless our customers. We'll bless the people we interact with. And if you're the employer... Take good care of those people working for you in the same way. Amen? The Bible says a laborer is worthy of his hire. Pay him a fair wage. Be a Christ-like example to them. So those are the practical things that he has said so far in chapter 2. We're going to pick up on verse 11. If you have your outline, grab it. And I'll get there in just a moment. But I tell the message, the all-encompassing grace of God. And you know, if there's anything that we need today, it's the grace of God. Can I get an Amen. And it's good to know, I think we misunderstand exactly how far grace goes. We know it's, we need grace to be saved. Can I get an amen to that? But do you know you need God's grace to live for him? Do you know you need God's grace in every aspect of your life? Because without him, we can do nothing. And the word, word in original language means nothing. So sound biblical teaching should produce both supernatural understanding, but also a holy and set-apart life. And again, by our fruit, they will know us, the Bible tells us. You know, we should be, again, different than the world. You know, the boat's in the water, but we don't want the water getting in the boat. Amen? We minister to the world, but we have no fellowship with it. We pray for divine appointments every day. Every time I go see a customer, you guys know I sell advertising. Every time I go see a customer, I pray for my customer all the way there. And then when I get there, I pray for an opportunity to encourage them if they, don't, if they know the Lord and to tell them about the Lord if they don't. And God allows that to happen. And guys, we want to be tools in the hands of the master. Amen? We want to be used for his kingdom and for his glory. When it comes to grace, though, I think we limit what we believe God's grace is. It's absolutely true that apart from God's incredible grace, none of us would be saved. But if we believe it ends there, we've missed it. It's God's grace that makes it possible for not only to call him Savior, but to call him Lord. 
You know, the Bible tells us, it's so clear that some people today just see him as a savior. He's my get out of hell free card. I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, I put it in my wallet. And then when my life's over, I'll, I'll pull that thing out and say, see, I came to camp when I was 15 and I prayed a prayer, Lord, so you got to let me into heaven. Let me tell you something. If you've truly given your life to the Lord, everything about your life will change. Amen. The Holy Spirit goes from being with you to in you. You're convicted. Your, your priorities change. Your passions change. The things that you spend your time doing changes. And it changes because you're a new creation in Christ. Guys, he must be more than Savior. He must be Lord. In Romans 10.9, it says this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice it says the Lord Jesus. It says in Romans 10.13, for whoever calls on the name of the the Lord shall be saved. It says in Philippians 2, Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to, to the glory of the Father. In Luke 6, it says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Guys, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Christianity is not something we do an hour and a half on Sundays. Having a relationship with the Lord, we're married to Jesus. We're the bride of Christ. The ultimate valentine was Jesus going to the cross of Calvary and dying so that we could be married to him. Can I get an amen to that? And so praise God for his love and his grace. So let's take a look here. We're only going to look at the first, uh, first point here. We look at verses 11 through 15. If you have your outline, I tell the message, the all-encompassing grace of God. And first, we're going to see the power of God's grace, its impact on every aspect of our lives. First of all, it saves us from our sin. How many sinners we got in the room? Raise your hand. If your hand's not up, you're lying and you're sinning again. Can I get an Amen. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The word sin is an archery term. It's a separation from where the arrow or the dart lands and the, the perfection, which is the, the bullseye. And so sin means we have separated, we're separated. And guys, you might think, well, actually, I'm a pretty good person. Well, if you compare yourselves to other people, you might be. But God doesn't grade on a curve, he grades at the cross. Can I get an amen? And we don't compare ourselves to Osama. Well, I'm no Hitler. I'm glad you got a high bar for yourself. I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm no mass murderer. Well, compare yourself to Christ. How you doing? Can I get an amen to that? And compared to him, we all fall short. And so the grace of God, as we'll see, is what saves us from our sin. But it's also the grace of God that teaches us to live sanctified lives. The word sanctified there means set apart. We are to live lives set apart, again, unto the Lord. It also keeps us looking in anticipation of his glorious return. How many of you guys are ready for Jesus to come back? And, rule, and then it will, we'll be snatched out of here for seven years. We'll come back and rule and reign with him for a thousand years upon the earth with Jesus on the throne where he belongs. Can I get an amen? Good news is he's already there. Good news is he's in control. No matter what's going on in the world around us, God wins. Amen. I read the end of the book. He's a sovereign God. He's a faithful God. He's a gracious God. Do not, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Guys, we should always be looking up. We should live every day in light of the fact that Jesus, if you knew that Jesus was coming back in a week, would you live different this week? Would you share your faith a little bit more? Would you, would you do everything that you did a little bit differently? Well, here's the reality. He could come this week. Let's live every day in light of his anticipating his come. He's coming. It should also make us zealous for good works. Again, the grace of God should make us desire to use the gifts God's given us. You know, we don't want to take the gifts God's given us and bury it in the ground. Amen? We want to take whatever that gift is. Here, here's how the church functions, and here's one of the reasons why it's been so difficult this last year. Most churches are closed still, and the ones that are open, it's limited in the number of people that are coming. What's happening is people are not using their gifts. They're having spiritual atrophy right? They're not being used by the Lord. And you know, when you grow, when you get stretched, can I get an amen? You grow when you use the gifts God has given you. And by the way, you have gifts I don't have. I may have a gift you don't have. That's why we need to come together to minister to each other. Can I get an amen to that? And the grace of God gives us a desire and a zeal for good works. And then finally, it enables us to speak with boldness. Do we need a few people speaking boldly for the things of God right about now? Can I get an amen to that? And the reality is that there's fear. 
We're afraid of what people will think of us. We're afraid of what people will say. Look, we do not want to be persecuted because we're jerks. Amen? We don't want to be jerks. We don't want to be hateful. We want to be kind. We want to be loving. We want to be gracious. But we need to be unashamed of the truth of the gospel. Amen? Our country needs Jesus now as much or more than ever. And guys, they can tell us that they're going to keep church out, they're going to keep Christ out of schools. I, when I was a youth pastor for 15 years, I said, you just talk about Jesus anyway. Can I get an amen to that? They can, they, can take, they can try to take God out of everything, but they can't take God away from us. And we're called to be the salt and light wherever we go. I, you know, I love it when I run into Christians at the grocery store. Amen. And it's a blessing because when we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. And as we are walking by grace, it will increase and enable us to speak with great boldness. So as grace, it justifies us just as if you've never sinned. Okay. Justifies us. So before you were a sinner separated from God, you've been justified. So he, you are now you have the promise of eternal life. You're going to heaven. You're a new creation in Christ. The Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you. But not only does he justify us, he is sanctifying us. That just means being set apart unto the Lord. We've been justified, and now we're being sanctified until the day we're glorified when we get to heaven. Amen? So the process of making us more and more like him is an active work of the Holy Spirit. It can only take place by the grace of God. Amen? So we've been justified by his grace. We're being sanctified by his grace, and we will be glorified one day by his grace. Here's a youth pastor acronym for grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. He paid for it, and we receive it. He suffered and died as if he lived your life, so you could be rewarded as if you lived his. What a great and awesome God we serve, amen? He took all of our sin upon himself. So let's begin there in verse 11 looking at the power of God's grace. And the first point is, it saves us from our sin. Look at verse 11. For the grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That word grace, again, is unmerited favor. It's being given something you don't deserve. Too many people are trying to earn heaven. If you're trying to earn heaven, let me save you some time. Knock it off. Because it won't work. Amen? You can't be good enough. When you meet people and you talk to them about the Lord and you ask them if they think they're going to heaven, an often response is, well, I hope so. And you only hope so if you think you're earning it based on your good works. But because Jesus promised, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved in the glory of the Father. Christianity is not a hope so, it's a no so. Amen? Because it's not based on my good works, but it's based on his great grace. And he is a faithful God to his word. It doesn't say that works of man bring salvation or the keeping of religious rules or rights bring salvation. It says the grace of God brings salvation. You don't go out and get it. It comes to you and you have an opportunity to receive it. The word grace there is charis in the original language, that which affords joy and pleasure and delight and goodwill and loving kindness and favor. I love that. I have joy always. You know why? Because joy is not based on my circumstances. It's based on right standing before the creator of the universe, and it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? And you've heard the acronym for joy. How do you have joy? Jesus, others, yourself, right? Put Jesus first, others second. If yourself is last, you're not going to get bent out, that very, bent out of shape very often, amen? Sadly, most of us have yoj. We don't have joy, right? We put ourselves first, and then we're bent out of shape, and we don't feel like we're being treated, right? Every time I feel like I'm being mistreated, I just remember Jesus on the cross, or Jesus being scourged. Can I get an amen to that? And I realize how incredibly blessed I really am. So it's by grace that we've been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's, our, it's his grace that saves us from our sin. So just exactly who does he offer his grace to? What does it say at the end of that verse? To what, how many men? All. To all men. That word all there means all. Now you'll have people tell you, well, it's only the elect that he died for, or it's, it's only certain people. No, whosoever, amen, 
Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish. The gospel has been delivered to all men, and the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Amen? And you'll have people come to you and they'll say, well, well, Dave, I had a guy do this to me. Not, it was a while ago. I went to visit an old friend who I hadn't seen in a while. And afterward, he took me out into his garage and he put all these religious books on a pool table. He goes, I got a question for you. You're a pastor, right? I go, yeah. He goes, explain this to me. He goes, I'm going to undo your faith in, a, in 10 minutes. I said, well, okay, let's see how that works. Let's go. So we go in there and he goes, well, you know, here's the Quran, And they use that you know, the Muslims in the Middle East. And, you know, here's the writings of Confucius and Buddha. And that's for the people in China. And these are the writings of, you know, so-and-so. And he puts them all on the pool table. And he's telling me, I just believe that God comes in many different ways, reaching different people using different prophets. I said, that all sounds good, but they all contradict each other. So they can't all be true. Do you know that Hinduism teaches there's 30 million gods and you're trying to be reincarnated and hope that you live a good enough life that you elevate yourself up the, the ladder of reincarnation? Buddha himself said at the end of his life that he had no assurance of, of what, what the afterlife was going to be like. Muhammad is the prophet of the sword who said, you know, went around with the sword, put it to people's throats and said, convert or die. And he rejects that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They say that when, when uh, Abraham went up on, on Mount Moriah, he didn't take Isaac. He took Ishmael, and that's why they're God's chosen people. Look, they all have different paths. Most of them include good works to get to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Can I get an amen to that? So it doesn't matter if you're in China, if you're in the Middle East, if you're in South America, it doesn't matter where in the world you are. The only way to salvation is Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. By the way, Muhammad did not die on the cross and his bones are in the ground. Buddha did not die on the cross. His bones are in the ground. Hare Krishna did not die on the cross. His bones are in the ground. You could talk about Charles Taze Russell, Joseph Smith, any religious leader you want. They're all dead prophets who prove they're not God because they died. And Jesus Christ is a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over death. And I've been in the tomb and he's not there. And he's the only way to heaven. And he proved it by raising from the dead. Can I get an amen to that? There are hundreds of prophecies about Jesus Christ. He fulfills them all. There's not one fulfilled prophecy of Muhammad. There's not one fulfilled prophecy of Buddha. There's not one fulfilled prophecy of Joseph Smith and the Mormon church. There's not a fulfilled prophecy of any other religion. Not one. We have hundreds. They've all come true. There's more coming. We serve the true and living God, and we should not be ashamed of it, and we should never fall into the trap of believing there are many paths to God. That's a lie that comes straight from the devil. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. A little fired up today. Because yeah. God's word rocks. Can I get an amen? Yeah. The Bible rocks. So you get it for an hour. I've been having it all week. That's what happens. He's appeared to all men. To all men. Now, you know what that means? Every man and every woman will one day stand before the Lord, and the only thing that will matter is what have you done with God's son? He's not going to say, how much money did you make? How big of a house did you live in? How successful were you? It's what have you done with God's son? Because when we stand before the Lord, we're all sinners. If God allows one sin into heaven, he's got earth part two. It was one sin, the Garden of Eden, that separated man from the creator of the universe. Amen? Before that, they were walking in the cool of the day. They were having intimate fellowship with God. And as soon as they sinned, they were naked and ashamed. And they were cast out of the garden. And they were separated from the Lord. So God can't have one sin in heaven or it's earth part two. It would defile heaven. There can be no sin in the presence of Almighty God. Amen? So we all admitted we're sinners, so we've got a problem. Well, here's the good news. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, Muhammad, if, even if he did die on a cross, which he didn't, it would mean nothing because he needed a savior himself because he was a sinner himself. All the Old Testament sacrifices, they took the firstborn, perfect, you know, spotless lambs. They always took the best animals. Why? Because they were always pointing to the Messiah. They're all pointing to Jesus. See, only Jesus could die on the cross for you. Only Jesus would die on the cross for you. And only Jesus did die on the cross for you. Amen? Amen. And the fact that he is risen proves that he is who he says 
he is. God's grace is available to all mankind. Here's how it works. It's offered universally and must be accepted individually. God has no grandchildren. My kids aren't saved because I am saved. They have to have their own relationship with the Lord. Just because your spouse is saved and you go to church with him or church with her doesn't make you saved. Doesn't matter if your grandparents were missionaries. That doesn't save you. At some point, you must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is more than Savior. You make him Lord of your life. You invite his Holy Spirit to rule and reign in your life. And when you do, you're old. the person you used to be dies. You become a new creation in Christ. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And you have the promise that when you close your eyes on earth, you're going to open them up in glory. Amen? And guys, it just doesn't get any better than that. And that's why we don't operate in fear. Because the worst thing the world could do to me is the best thing that could happen to me. You can't threaten me with heaven. Can I get an amen? Heaven is better. And so it's by grace that we're saved. And he has presented it to all men. Now, here's what's amazing. He uses us to be the presenters. Amen? He uses us and brings the divine appointments into our lives. You have people in your life that maybe no other Christian may interact with but you. You may be the only Jesus they ever see. Guys, don't hide your light under a bushel, amen? He desires that none should perish, no, not one. When was the last time you prayed for your unsaved family and friends? Are you burdened for the lost? Guys, we should be more burdened for the lost than anything else. That should be the, our heart, amen? The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people, amen? Yeah, but I'm afraid if I say something, they'll think I'm some kind of religious fanatic. When they call me a religious fanatic, I say, right on, amen, word, there you go, got it. What are you a fanatic for? Can I get an amen? You a Laker fanatic? How's that working out? You know what? What are you a fanatic for? I'm a fanatic. Fan is just a short for fanatic. You know that, right? I'm a fanatic for Jesus. Amen? I'm I was filling out an application this week, and it said, how important is Jesus to your life? I'm like, you only gave me one page. I felt like just attaching the Bible to the page and sending it to him. But the reality is, guys, it's who we are in Christ that matters. And because of what he did on the cross for us, you notice it says there, I love the word there. It says, by grace that brings salvation has appeared. The word appeared there is epiphany. He has shined out. You know, as the sun shines to all men, the sun in the sky, so to the grace of God, the Father has been made available to all through his Son. Everyone can be saved. They can be. Not everyone will be. And again, there's, there's different theology out there that says God forced you to receive him. I don't believe that because it's, it's, it's not consistent with Scripture. Amen? So it's offered universally, must be accepted individually. Jesus hung on the cross for you and said, this is how much I love you. I want, to, I want you to be a part of my bride. I want to pay for your sin, but you must reach out. You must respond and, and ask the Lord to be your Savior. In this room this morning, there's nobody here so bad you can't be saved. Can I get an amen to that? Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Aren't you glad? But at the same time, too, there's no one here that's so good they don't need to be saved. Amen? So there's, there's, there's not so, you know, nobody here is so bad, they're beyond salvation, but also there's nobody here so good, they don't need salvation. I remember visiting, I've shared this here before, uh, when I was living in Seattle back in the 80s, working in the same industry I do now for a competitor, and my grandmother called me and said, your, you know, your great, great, great uncle, twice removed on your cousin's side, lives in Seattle. And I called him and he wants to see you. So they invited Lynette and I over to dinner, we didn't have any kids yet. And we came in, and there were like 30 people there that I'm related to I had never met. And I noticed in their house, they had crucifixes on the wall and a lot of stuff on the walls. And this is long before I was a pastor. I, was, I think I was 22 years old. So we're sitting down for dinner, and they were all dressed up. And I said, you guys don't have to dress up for us. They said, well, you know what? We actually just came back from a memorial service for our next-door neighbor. And they said, but you know, we know we're going to see him in heaven. I said, oh, praise God. So he was a believer. And they said, believer? What's a believer? Oh, no. And my wife went, oh, no. <laughs> and they said, well, he was a good man. I said, really? I've never met one of those. Tell me, tell me, define a good man for me. How many times a day does a good man sin? How many times? And, I, and it's, I said, let's, it's probably hundreds, but let's just say, let's say three times a day. 
Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, the times 360, that's 1,000 times a year. How old was he? He was 82. So he sent 82,000 times. He's the best man I ever met. He probably sent more like 82 million times. Let's just say he's 82,000 times. When you stand before a judge with 82,000 crimes, what happens to you? You go to jail. Can I get an amen to that? God can't have one sin in heaven or he has earth part two. Well, the whole table was fired up and getting after me. Well, that's not nice. He mowed people's lawns. I'm like, he baked cookies for people in the neighborhood. You know, and I said, compared to other people, he's probably a decent guy. And this went on for about half an hour. And finally, I said this, and it silenced the table. I said, you got Jesus on, on the cross all over your house here. If, if you could get to heaven by being good, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And my un- great uncle looked at me and he goes, oh, that's a good question. I go, bro, that's the question. Amen. Then I went over to open up his big Bible to show him something. He goes, we don't open that book. I said, well, therein lies the problem. (laughs) Your Bible is not an ornament. You know, it's not a paperweight on the, on the table in the living room. You know, guys, this is the living, breathing word of God. Read the book. Don't wait for the movie, man. Open up the book and read it. Open it, read it, and obey it. Can I get an amen to that? So it's, it's by grace that we're saved. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is available, but it must be received. And again, God doesn't grade on the curve. He doesn't compare you to other people. He grades at the cross. It was funny when I came back to work here. I worked here from 88 to 96 in the Woodland Hills office. I came back in 2011. I've been gone 15 years, and my old boss was in the office. And the first thing he said to me, he goes, welcome back, Dave. And by the way, Jesus doesn't grade on a curve. He grades at the cross. I said, amen. He goes, I remember you saying that to me in our cubicle every day, and I've not forgotten it. And I said, but have you done anything about it? Can I get an amen? In John 1, 12, it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believed in his name. It's not just a belief that there is a God. That's not enough. Amen? It's not belief. Well, I believe in God. Well, the Bible says that demons believe and tremble. Here's the better question. That's what I used to say to youth group kids. Are you married to Jesus? Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Does the Holy Spirit live inside of you? Is he the priority and the passion of your life? Are you walking in the full, do you feel convicted every time you sin? If there's no conviction, there's been no conversion. Can I get an amen? If you can go out and live a sinful life, you've not been converted. Look, let today be the day of salvation. Amen? The grace of God is revealed in salvation. Point number two. Now you know why we're not getting that far today. Number two. The power of God's grace teaches us to live sanctified lives. Look what it says there in verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. I think one of the biggest fallacies of people that I talk to is when they tell me, well, yeah, I believe in God and yeah, I, I ask Jesus in my heart, or however, whatever term they want to use, but nothing about their life ever changed. I had somebody who was telling me, yeah, I, I've been saved for 15 years, and I was still dealing drugs and sleeping around and doing all this, and I didn't feel bad about any of it. I go, bro, you were not saved. There's no way. Because you're taking the Holy Spirit with you if you're born again. Amen? Wherever you go, you take him with you. Do you think he's just going to hang out? while you're getting lit up on drugs and sleeping around? Or is he going to give you the Holy Spirit head slap like he gives me? Can I get an amen to that? I know how the Holy Spirit feels to you. That's it right there. Amen? Like, what are you doing? And praise God that those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. Amen? And so we see that he says there that the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, it teaches us to live a life set apart from the world. Now, again, are we better than other people? The answer is no. We're all sinners saved by grace. We're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. But, as, but now we're new creations in Christ, so we live different than other people because we've been born again. Amen? And we're not the people we used to be. We're new creations in Christ. Now, he says there, teaching us. We're teaching there, and Greek has in mind what a parent does for a child. It speaks of the entire training process, teaching, encouraging, correcting, disciplining. By the way, your kids have enough friends be their parents. Can I get an amen to that? My dad, we were old school. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. My kids played Little League. 
And I'd hear, this years ago, and I'd hear how kids would respond to their parents. Yeah, what? I'm like, wow. Oh, man, I'd have, that, I'd have the mark of the belt on my rear end for about three weeks with that program. Amen? It was not, yeah, what? It was not. And by the way, if our kids don't learn discipline at home, if we don't learn to submit to authority at home, they're not going to submit to authority anywhere else. They're going to have a problem with the teacher and the coach and their boss and the police eventually. Can I get an amen to that? And so we're called to raise them up and to teach them right. And again, teaching us that the grace of God teaches us how to live, to, the, to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Now look, some of you are going, oh, I came to church and I'm being told stuff I can't do. Here's the thing. The law and the word of God, you've heard me say it, it's not a fence to keep you out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep you from driving off the cliff. God's not keeping you from fun. He's keeping you from harm. Can I get an amen to that? So when you read the word of God and you see that the word of God forbids something or commands us not to do something, it's because he knows it will bring us harm. The same reason I won't let my grandkids play in the street. No matter how many times they ask, no. And if they go out there, they're going to get a swat in Jesus' name. And yes, God provided a little fatty place right here in the back where you can take the board of education and apply it to the seat of learning. Can I get an amen? And it's amazing how stuff gets worked out that way. But here's the reality though. Again, the exhortation here is that the grace of God teaches us how to live. The feeding of our fleshly desires will bring us harm. God's a loving father, not trying again to keep you from fun, but to keep you from harm. You know, there's nothing more tragic than a hypocrite. We've all been, anybody here been a hypocrite at at a moment in time in your life before besides me? We all have, okay? But open hypocrisy is when you live a life, you, you preach one thing on Sunday, you live some way on Sunday, and the rest of the week, nobody in the world would ever think you're saved. We took a videotape of you living your life, and we brought your neighbors in. You know, we brought a bunch of Christians in and say, can you see any evidence that this person saved? If we put you on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would they see you in the word of God? Would they see how you treat your spouse? Would they see how you treat your children? Would they see how hard you work? Would they see a person that's honoring to the Lord? Or would they say, you look just like the rest of the world? Hypocrisy is, here's here's the reality. If, If Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. Amen? If Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. You can go to church a thousand times and it will not get you any closer to heaven if you don't repent, surrender your life to the Lord, and then your life will change because you're a new creation in Christ. Can I get an amen to that? So we're not saved by good works. I'm not trying to be legalistic and you got to do all these things to earn heaven. No, we do all these things because we've been given heaven. We do all these things because the spirit of living God lives inside of us. And the way we talk, the way we live, the things that we do changes. It says in 2 Corinthians, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, not only honoring to God, but draws people to Jesus when they see your life has changed. I, was a, I got saved in Mrs. Green's Sunday school class in the First Baptist Church of Wilmington in 1968. And yes, that means I'm old. But I know I was, and my dad even talked about that day coming home and telling him while he was painting the garage door yellow that I told him I got saved, and he asked me what that meant, and he said, and you explained it, son, and you've given your life to the Lord. But I will tell you that later on in my life, in my early 20s, is when I really felt like I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and my life radically changed. And I knew it had radically changed, because I went and hung out with some of my friends from high school, and we were just hanging out. We went to a movie, and we went out to get some food. And halfway through the meal, one of my buddies looked across at me and goes, what happened, Dave? I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, you were saved before, but now you're really saved. Because, dude, what happened? You know what happened? Less of me and more of Jesus. Can I get an amen of that? We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? There needs to be less of us and more of him. And we need to be filled afresh with the Lord. Denying ungodliness. We, and you know what we need? We need an example. Christianity is taught, but it can also be caught. Can I get an amen? When people see it, they want to know what's different. Highest compliment, we had a Bible study in our office in San Jose, and they started calling us the God Squad, and they were mocking us. But then all of a sudden, the God Squad, there's 30 people in this Bible study, and the top 30 sales reps in the office were on the God Squad. And then all of a sudden, people wanted to come because they wanted to sell more. I got to, whatever you guys are doing in here, I want some of that. And, the, and, and the, the VP would call me in every time they had a job open. You got any more of those Christian people you want to bring over here? Now, look, 
we don't believe in prosperity doctrine that it's all about love God and we get a bunch of stuff. The stuff is all going to burn anyway. Can I get an amen? What I'm saying though is that when you live for the Lord, it will be an example to others when they see your marriage, when they see the joy that's in your life, when they see how hard you work, when they see how you treat other people, when they see the, kind, the love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. When those things are active parts of your life, it's going to be evident to a lost world that's panicking. Is the world panicking right now? Yeah. Are people scared to death? And people go, why are they? I said, because they don't know the Lord. They should be scared. Amen? You guys know I had COVID for four weeks, couldn't breathe for a long time. And you know what? Come quickly. Heaven's good. I'm ready. Let's go. Can I get an amen to that? We don't have a fear of death if we know the Lord. And if we don't, we're panicking all the time. And we walk around scared. And if you don't know the Lord, you should be scared because you're going to stand before him and be separated from him. So guys, we want to minister to those folks. Amen? We want to be an example to them. Don't be a self-righteous, arrogant jerk, please. Amen? Don't be that guy who thinks he's better than everybody else. We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. We need to be loving. We need to be kind. Notice he says, do it soberly. It means self-controlled, exercising restraint on our passions. One may say that in a world where we are tempted to say yes to every desire and feeling, that the reality of our faith can be demonstrated in our ability and willingness to say no. You know when your flesh is drawing you away to do something, but you know that the Holy Spirit gives you the power to say no. The world runs to it. And if you've been born again and the Holy Spirit convicts you, with temptation, God makes a way of escape. Amen? And every time you're tempted, it's not just an opportunity to fall, it's an opportunity to grow. Amen? The Bible says if you resist the devil, he what? He flees from you. So when you're tempted, you have an opportunity to actually grow when you say, no, I'm good. Hey, come, uh, come to this party. No, I'm good. I don't need to go to that. You know what you do? You grow. And Satan doesn't tempt you with lima beans. Amen? What I mean by that, he doesn't tempt you with stuff you don't want anyway. He's going to tempt you with the things he knows are a temptation to you. Amen? Drugs have never been an issue for me. You can put 500 pounds of cocaine, leave it in my driveway for 10 years, I ain't going near it. I don't need it. For other people, that might be a temptation. Things I'm tempted by might not tempt you. But when we resist it, when we walk away from it, when that wave of escape comes and we step through it, we grow. Notice he says also... Uh, Right, soberly, righteously. Righteously is before the world around us. Soberly is concerning myself, being self-controlled. Righteously is before the world around me, being an example to them, a testimony before men. And then he says, and godly in this present age. So soberly is my own walk internally with the Lord. Righteously is before the world and godly is to take my walk seriously to make God the priority and the passion of my life. And it says, in the present age, amongst this generation, he was writing to Titus, and it was filled with corruption and perversion, and there were liars and, you know, Californians, right? I mean, it was a mess. And in the midst of that, he said, you live different. In the midst of that, in this present age, you live in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation, and God's grace empowers us to live a holy and set-apart life, no matter what the world around, is, around us is doing. Amen? Verse 13, a power of God's grace not only saves us from sin, teaches us to live sanctified lives, it keeps us looking up in anticipation of a soon return. Look at verse 13. It says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's grace covers the past, the present, and the future, and aren't you glad? Amen? Our sins have been forgiven. We have nothing to fear in the present, and we have the promise of eternal life. Amen? Praise God. We don't have to be condemned about what's behind us. We don't need to be fearful in what we're walking through right now. And we can live with blessed hope and anticipation of the fact that there's a day coming soon when we will leave this earth and we'll spend eternity with Almighty God in his presence. You ever think about the fact you're going to hug Jesus? I do every day. Can I get an amen to that? I'm looking forward to heaven. By the way, I don't think we're going to be blown away by the golden streets. 
You know, as, as amazing, you know, it talks about heaven and the, the jewels and, you know, the, the pearly gates and all the things it talks about in heaven. I don't think any of that, you know, that's great. That's wonderful. But it's not, it's not what's there that matter, matters. It's who's there that matters. We're going to be with Jesus. Amen. And we're going to be with those who went before us that love the Lord. I can't wait to hug on my dad's neck again. Can I get an amen to that? And praise God for that joy that comes from knowing the Lord. We need to live every day in anticipation of his soon return. Looking for his blessed hope, we should live. I remember when I was going to Calvary Costa Mesa when I was a kid, and, and they talked about the Lord coming back all the time. And people would say, oh, that's so... Re-. No, if you live every day in light of his soon return, it gives you a sense of urgency to be about it for the kingdom of God. Amen? Maranatha, right? Maranatha, come quickly. And they'd be, you know, putting up the one-way sign up. And hey, I love that. We need to get back to a little more of that. Can I get an amen? We need to get back to living every day that he could come back today and have that anticipation. Notice he talks about the blessed hope. Again, it's not a hope so. It's not what that word hope means. It's a confident expectation and anticipation. The grace of God should impact not only how we see past sin and how we live presently, but how we view the future. Again, we're looking for is heaven and eternal life, and we're so thankful. We, by the way, you have eternal life already if you're born again. Do you know that? Your name's already written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're already a new creation, and praise God for it. And again, as incredible as it is, it's who's there that matters the most. Our hope is in the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The next time you're bummed out about politics, the next time you're bummed out about your job, next time you're bummed out about COVID, the next time you're bummed out about anything on this planet that's all temporary, just remember that God is on the throne. He's in charge. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you, and he's coming back soon to take you home. Can I get an amen to that? And that's where our passion needs to be. You know, it's interesting. I think of it this way. I've done, I think, about 200 weddings. A few, right, few people right here in the room. I've done your weddings. Do you know as beautiful as the flowers are? As beautiful as the building is? You know the most beautiful thing? What's the most beautiful thing at every wedding? The bride. Can I get an amen? When that door opens and the bride walks out, that's what people remember. Guys, as much as heaven's going to be beautiful... The most beautiful thing about heaven is going to be Jesus. Can I get an amen? And I'm looking forward to seeing him. It says of him that uh, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love that he's the great God and Savior. The Greek sentence is speaking of the same person. Here's, an, here's time number 500 where Jesus proclaims himself to be God. Amen? You have a Jehovah's Witness, you go, Jesus never claims to be God. What book are you reading? Can I get an amen to that? He is God all over. Just start, just start in Genesis. Let's start in John chapter 1. We can go all over the Bible. Jesus Christ is God. Amen. Amen. He always has been. He always will be. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And praise God for that. Another clear reference to him being God. Point number four makes us zealous for good works. You guys looking forward to heaven, by the way? Yeah. I've had people say to me, well, I'm a Christian. I love heaven, but I'm kind of in for this promotion at work. And I kind of like to get that first. I'm thinking about building, you know, a, I'm thinking about building a house on the lake. You're going to get to heaven and go, house on the lake, really? <laughs> heaven blows doors on anything the world has to offer, amen? Heaven's greater than you think. God is greater than you think. And when we get there, we're going to say, man, I wish I'd have come sooner. Can I get an amen? But we got to finish what we're doing here first. By the way, can some of you guys stay in California with me to preach to these people? Everybody's moving to Idaho and Montana and Texas and Tennessee and Arizona. And if God calls you, God bless you, go. But we need some people to stay here because this might be the greatest mission field on the planet right now. Can I get an amen to that? I need a few to hang out with me, all right? I don't want to be the only guy left here, all right? So please, stay. The power of God's grace makes us zealous for good works. Look what it says. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. He gave himself for us. When you feel unloved, when you feel like you're of no value, I have to remind people all the time, I don't feel, I don't feel, I don't, I'm not worth anything, I'm no good. How do you determine the value of something? What someone's willing to pay. And what did God pay for you? 
He sent his son to suffer and die in your place. You might have eternal life. The next time you think you're of no value, just think about Jesus hanging on the cross. And it wasn't the nails that held him there. It was his love for you. Could he have gotten down anytime he wanted? What's the answer? He could have turned everybody there into a pile of rocks. He could have done anything he wanted. He's God. And he hung on the cross out of his love for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. He gave himself for you. And it was voluntary. Nobody forced Jesus to go to the cross. They could have never got him to the cross if he wasn't willing to go. I guarantee you, in the history of all people crucified, Jesus is the only one that didn't fight when they were putting the nails in his hands. Amen? They're putting nails in our hands, we're going down swinging. Not the Lord, because he knew that's why he came. Amen? And he thought about you, and he did it because he loves you. How much did he give? He gave himself, his whole self. Jesus gave all that he could. He voluntarily gave for us. Not for a beautiful bride as yet. When he died for us, we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for the most beautiful bride. He died for a tainted bride that he needed to pay the price for so that bride could be made whole and be cleansed. Amen? And he died for us. The greatest act of love ever, perfect holy God, voluntary laying down his life for sinful, rebellious men and women like us. Jesus died for you. Next time you read John 3, 16, where it says the world, put your name in there. For God so loved Dave that he gave his only begotten son that if Dave would believe in him, he would have everlasting life. And you know what? That's the truth. Can I get an amen to that? He loves you that much. Why did he do it? Notice what it says there, that he might redeem us from our sin. To be bought out of slavery by paying of a ransom. That's what the word redeem means. It means we were slaves to sin and death. And the price that was on our heads was something we couldn't pay. And he came along and he paid the price for us. He wrote the check we could not write, and he paid the price so we could be delivered from bondage to sin and death. We could be made new creations in Christ. That's what our Savior did for us. He came to redeem us. Without his sacrifice, paying the price in our place, taking our sin upon himself, we would all be lost. And by the way, it's a slap in his face every time we say something is foolish, as there's other ways besides Jesus. Because there aren't. Can I get an amen? He had to die on the cross for us. Jesus alone could. Jesus alone did. He paid the price. From every lawless deed. Isn't that good to know? It says there, from every lawless deed. Well, he, pay, he pays for the little white lies. Well, he pays for the, these sins over here. But there are certain sins that, you know, look, there's some religions, you know, some people out there who define sins in different ways. Well, if you have this kind of sin and you don't confess before that sin and then you die, then you're going to be, it's a mortal sin. So you're going to burn in hell forever. No. Can I get an amen to that? It is what? That word means paid in full. He paid the price, past, present, and future. Can I get an amen to that? So we don't have to go into a box and confess to a man and then pray a bunch of repetitive, vain, repetitive prayers. The Bible tells us not to pray, to get be forgiven. We don't, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. We do not add to the cross of Calvary. Can I get an amen to that? Now, I believe there are people within the Catholic Church and some Episcopal Church that, that, know that are going to heaven. But I will say this. It's not because of the Catholic Church, the Episcopal Church. It's in spite of what they teach. Because we cannot add to the cross. Because when we add to the cross, we make Jesus less. The church doesn't save us. We are the church. Jesus saves us. We put our faith in him. Can I get an amen? And when we get to heaven, there's not going to be a Baptist section and a Calvary Chapel section. And a... We're all Christians. Amen? It's following him from every lawless deed. His gracious work on the cross not only justifies us, but sanctifies us for holy use. And again, I'm so thankful that there's no amount of sin that I can't be forgiven. Amen. The enemy will lie to you. Oh, but you're so bad. I did prison ministry for years. Pastor, if you knew what I did, God knows and he's, he's willing to forgive you. But you don't know. It doesn't matter. Amen. What was Saul of Tarsus doing when he got saved? What was he doing? He's persecuting Christians. He's rounding up to get fed to lions probably. Right? Here's Saul of Tarsus. And now he becomes the apostle Paul. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Amen? Our sins have been paid for. He purifies, it says, purify for himself a special people. Isn't that, you're special to God. Does that blow you away? 
You're his special people. You're his chosen people. You're his sons and daughters. If God had a wallet, your picture be in it. Can I get an amen? That's how much he loves you. He knows every hair on your head. What a gracious God we serve. We're reserved, it says in Greek, special people means reserved for, specifically used for a part of the spoils of a battle which the king would have conquered and set apart for himself. He, he won the battle and then he pulls something aside he wants to keep for himself. Jesus won the battle on the cross and he pulls us aside because we're what he wants to keep for himself. You're his treasured possession. You're the, thing, you're the thing that God who can create anything, the thing he treasures is you. How powerful is that? Can I get an Amen. Finally, he enables us to speak with great boldness. I'm going to go over a few minutes. If you have to leave, go ahead. Uh, We'll pray for you when you leave. I'm almost done. I'm just playing. Jesus is more important than brunch. Can I get an amen? Speak things. He says, speak these things. Exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Speak these things. Now, I love this. He's telling them, look, now that you know the truth, don't keep it to yourself. Amen? Speak what things? Going back to verse 1, where he tells them how the church should operate. How should we respond? The truth of the gospel. We don't keep it to ourselves. You know, I've heard people say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I just, I just have a Christian lifestyle. Now, again, we should live in such a way that draws people to Christ, but at some point, someone's got to speak up. Amen? The gospel requires words. Can I get an amen? We can, we can live it out loud, but we need to speak up. Speak the things that are of proper and sound doctrine. And notice he says there, so speak the things that are true. The word speak there is preach. Preach. Bring it. Can I get an amen? Preach it, preach it, preach it, right? Amen? Sound doctrines of biblical truth, grace and salvation and redemption. The practical of how older women and younger women were to live. The word exhort there means to invoke or implore, to be bold and forceful, to incite people to take action. You know, when you guys come to church, you should be convicted and then you should leave here with a desire to live different or to fall more in love with the Lord or to use the gifts he's given you. Can I get an amen to that? So again, when we come here, We should leave here every time. To know him better is to love him more. To study his word is to know him better. We should leave here loving him more. Amen? And that's the exhortation. The word rebuke is also to call those who are false teachers within the church and to do it with all authority because, guys, our authority comes from the word of God. My opinion is irrelevant. People have asked me, Pastor, what do you think? What I think you don't need to hear. What does the Bible say? What does God's word say? This is the final court of authority, not my opinions. Can I get an amen to that? So what does the Bible say? And, I, and look, I don't know the answers. I just know where they are. Amen? I got the teacher's edition up here. You just open it up, and it's got answers in here. And so we want to open it up, and we want to show people the truth. And the word to rebuke and with authority is the authority that comes from the word of God. And then it says, let no one despise you as he finishes up. From fulfilling his calling, Titus was to be an example to others on how they were to live. An obedient and faithful walk would bring greater authority to his words, and hypocrisy would cause him to despise him, cause people to despise him. Uh, I did pr- I've done prison ministries and maximum security prisons. I've done a minimum security. And it's funny, I always ask people that aren't Christians when I invite them to chapel and they don't want to come, I say, What do you think about the Christians who are here? What do you think about them? And here's what they'll say If they proclaim Christ and they live like it, we'll leave them alone. If they proclaim Christ and they live a different way, they're getting a beat down. That's a direct quote. Why? Because they say, look, if they give their life to God, we'll leave them out of it. We won't get them involved in gang activity in prison. We won't mess with them because if that's, what, that's the life they're going to live and they're going to live that way, we'll honor that. But as soon as they become hypocrites, as soon as they go to chapel and then they're you know, over here dealing drugs or they're doing something else or they're acting some ungodly way, they're sneaking stuff in, they're going to get a beat down. Because guys, people recognize what we do and whether or not it matches what we say. Amen. And a hypocrite is a mask wearer, someone who pretends to be something, but then as soon as they take the mask off, you find out that there's something else. And as Christians, look, we're sinners saved by grace, and sometimes we have hypocritical moments. We should not have hypocritical lives. Can I get an amen to that? And when we act hypocritical, even for a moment, it drives us to our knees, and we cry out to the Lord to forgive us. Amen? So, the power of God's grace 
should impact every aspect of our life. It saves us from our sin. By the way, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've gone to church your whole life, but you've never repented, though here's what the word repent means. It means I'm going this way, walking away from the Lord. My life is chasing after the things of the world. I have no relationship with God. The word repent means to change your mind. It also means to turn around. You're heading this direction. You turn completely around, and now you're going to leave that life behind, and you're going to lay your life down before the Lord. And you're asking him not just to save you from hell, but to fill you with this Holy Spirit and to come and rule and reign in your life. Only one person can be on the throne of your life. It's you or it's the Lord. Amen? And if he's not on the throne of your life, the Bible says, let today be the day of salvation. Secondly, teaches us to live sanctified lives. So as Christians, we should live different. Number three, keeps us looking up in anticipation of his glorious return. No man knows the day of the hour. The Lord could come back today. It could be 500 years from now. I believe it's a lot closer to today than that. When we look at the world around us, the Bible says we don't know the day of the hour. We can know the season. And I feel like we're in rapture season. Can I get an amen? But we should live every, if you live every day in light of he could come soon, you'll never regret it. But if you put it off like he's not come back for a long time, you may. Can I get an amen? He makes us zealous for good works. We should have a desire to live holy and set apart lives. And then finally, he enables us to speak with great boldness. You know what? May we not be ashamed of the gospel. Amen. May we not keep it to ourselves. May we love people enough to have an uncomfortable conversation if that's what's necessary. Because you know what? I'm glad someone loved me enough to tell me about Jesus, even if it was uncomfortable for them. Can I get an amen? Lord, we thank you. We praise you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. I thank you, Lord, for your word. That's the truth. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who defines it for us, gives us understanding. Lord, I pray if anybody here today doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. They would not be putting their faith in their good works or a religious system. But just like it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. If you're here today and you've never given your life to the Lord, the Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. I'm not going to ask you to join a church or anything else, but give you an opportunity right now just to confess, you know what? I was convicted today and I need to give my life to Jesus. I'm ready to surrender to him. I want the promise of eternal life. I know that I'm a sinner. I need a savior. If that's your desire, just raise your hand where you are and I'll pray with you. Anybody at all. Let today be the day of salvation. Don't leave here without the Lord. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. Anybody at all. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. We're looking forward to heaven. But Lord, until we get there, help us to be busy about what you've called us to do, to do it with great joy. We pray for revival, Lord, start in our hearts first. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said.